Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, welcome to My Good Bad Brain. It's a podcast about mental health and being a person and stuff like that. Um, today's episode's got uh, this is a trigger warning. It's a, it's a tough episode uh, involving some stuff about sexual abuse, and I just want to let you guys know that up front. Um, that's it. Let's start the theme song and do the show. Okay, take care. Welcome to My Good Bad Brain. I'm a normal person. So I'm insane. I've got depression and ADHD, but I'm doing better since I medicated me. I'm still not always sure whether I exist or what being a person even really is. But I figured out a long time ago that being alive is beautiful. Hi. I'm not going to do too much intro to this episode. I feel like that's becoming the thing that I just say at the beginning of the other episode. Like, oh, I'm not going to do too much intro on this episode. Um, today's a heavy episode. Just uh, I know I already mentioned that in the pre-roll section, but I want to mention it again. Um, y- you know, the the question that came through basically was like, what's after trauma? The, the question involved a lot of context and story about um, some personal stuff that we'll get into that's that's just a horrible hard story and um the the gist of it at the end though the question is is just uh when can you expect trauma to stop affecting you or stop feeling controlled by it that kind of thing like is there a life after trauma and um i mean i'll just say the short answer is yes (laughs) if you want a spoiler alert for uh you know before you get into listening you know obviously dr nick's amazing and and gets into some specifics about how one might go about uh this kind of thing there's no substitute for just doing treatment and time you know but i think it's important that this thing comes up a lot this you know whatever mental health issue kind of we're dealing with and i just think it's really important to know that there is a way out of whatever thing you feel under you know, um, one thing Dr. Nick says, I think he says in this episode, he says in the past as well, he says, you know, the good news is that, uh, you can change things, you know, you can fix things. Um, the bad news is like, you got to do the work and, uh, it's totally fucking unfair. You know, you didn't do anything to deserve like whatever shitty thing might've happened uh to you 
but you are unfortunately going to have to be the one to do the work to get out from under it, to, to get control of it. And, uh, that's on one level, a bummer, you know, just, I guess, but I, I, cause you know, it's hard and knowing that it's real and that you're, you're going to have to do it. There's no like magic answer. No, no magic pill that you just do this one thing and then it's all fixed. But I do find it very hopeful to know that it's within your power to get better, you know, to to get yourself to a place where whatever thing that troubles you isn't controlling your life and your reality and your experiences day to day, you know. I mean, sometimes you just got to really repeat that and hear that over and over again to remind yourself because it can feel pretty fucking rough the the repetition the cycle that we all experience who have mental health struggles the sort of feeling that you you keep having to redo it it keeps rearing its head again that it never feels like totally gone whatever your personal thing is that you're dealing with i think that's a that's a common thing you know that it might go away for a while but i think it's good to sort of be mentally prepared for the possibility that these things come back and the acceptance that these things come back because i i've in the past had this thing happen where i feel like i've gotten better at figured some stuff out and then it comes back and then i just have this like double feeling of like oh i'm such a failure this is so much worse because you know i thought i got but i now it's back like i thought i beat it but i was so bad at beating it now it's back and it's that's i guess i'll never get out from under you know what i mean i can make it worse for myself but I think just accepting the nature of these things, the nature of being a person is one of sort of repeating lessons over and over. And a thing that Dr. Nick always says, it's practice. You know, you have to practice these skills. It takes skills to overcome your thought patterns and uh, sort of traumas and things that you got in your body. So anyway, this is a heavy up and uh, it's full of really wonderful information. I think a lot of hope ultimately for anybody out there struggling with some uh, heavy mental illness stuff and particularly traumas that you feel for whatever reason just don't don't want to unsick themselves from your day-to-day experiences i just want to say that you know you can you can definitely change that and that can definitely be a new reality it might not be easy it might not be overnight but it's possible all right uh, i'm gonna stop talking and let this convo go uh as we get into this this question of uh what happens after trauma thanks a lot you guys uh self-care you know hydrate be well i'll uh i'll see you guys soon Jer, um i sent this uh okay someone wrote in with a question that's pretty intense and um so uh i think that's just that's all that's all we'll really talk about today uh and so I'll just say up front that there's like a, you know, content warning for this. There's like a lot of trauma and the sexual abuse stuff in the, and this uh, person's story. Um, really <coughs> grateful that they felt like sharing this openly on the, on the, on the, the show. Cause I don't know. I think these are scary questions to ask about. And, uh, a, a lot of people, I think, even if you don't relate specifically to this, maybe you'll have some similar experiences with their question related to trauma. Uh, and Dr. Nick is like trauma's your central area of expertise. So this is a perfect uh, thing. So I'm just going to read this again. Like I said, there's uh, some sexual abuse uh, in this story. Uh, content warning. So just, you know, be, be forewarned. Okay. <clears throat> uh, uh, my question this week is about trauma. And it isn't as much a question as a plea for advice from Dr. Nick. 
I've discussed my uh, relationship with my father with a few therapists, but I'm currently without one. Bad timing. Uh, without ranting or taking up too much time, I'll try to explain the situation. I was sexually assaulted by my father at the age of 11, about a year after my mom left my dad, after he slept with her 17-year-old niece, who was living with us through her battle with severe bipolar disorder. When I came forward, my mama filed for a restraining order, but nothing else, and since that day, we have barely spoken about it. And every single other person uh, in my uh, people, yeah, in my family has claimed that I'm lying. Most claim that my mama coerced me into faking the abuse as revenge. Since that day, my immediate family does not speak to any extended family, but no one will say out loud why. I've been left to battle the trauma alone, sometimes in my deepest depressions, questioning if it even happened. June 15th, my father died super suddenly. As mature and as smart as I know I am, I, for some reason, believed that the pain and trauma would die with him. And the realization that had, it had not was really hard for me to swallow. And I found myself having a full childish uh, temper tantrum type of meltdown in the middle of the night. He made me feel so weak, so silent, and so scared. And if I still feel like that, even when he's dead, what is to stop that from continuing the rest of my life? It even got worse. Right before last weekend, Father's Day, I found out that I was listed in his obituary as his loving child, even though I asked the social worker when she contacted me to make sure that doesn't happen. Her, his sister put me in there. Fifteen years later, and everyone gets to live a delusion while I am tiny and quiet and weak. I don't want everything to feel so triggering all the time. So my question, even though I know it won't be this easy, but what exists at the end of trauma? What has to happen for one person, a person who isn't even alive anymore, to stop choking me? I hope this makes sense. Thank you for your time. I appreciate you uh, both and and this podcast. I hope that others can benefit from this conversation. Thanks for sharing that. That's a really tough story. I'm going to share. It's fucking horrible. I mean, you know, um, really appreciate this person uh, asking about this. It's a horrible story. And, you know, childhood sexual abuse is one of the most horrible things that um, anyone can go through, you know. And as so often happens, it seems that this is compounded by this sort of conspiracy of silence perpetrated by the family so that they don't have to feel uncomfortable, which is also fucking hard, you know? Um, and yeah, that, that unfortunately happens a lot. Sounds like maybe the person's mother is a little bit more validating, but their extended family is, again, in, in denial to preserve their own false memory of, you know, her father. Um, so I think there's a lot of layers here, you know, there's a lot of layers and I just want to also make it clear that these types of systemic deep seated, um, developmental traumas are not solvable, you know, through advice or a turn of phrase. I know this person knows that, and I'm sure other people know that too, but I think what we can do here is try to maybe give a little context and a little bit of direction, but mostly just instill hope. I think that we can definitely do is instill hope um that's not going to be a substitute for a long journey of processing skill building and recovery i mean and i think that's what needs to be done you know my experience um that's how people kind of cover and build a life that's worth living after going through childhood sexual trauma and the compound trauma of having their family pretend it didn't happen which again is like really unfortunately common 
Um, so I think to, to start, you know, first with the individual and then kind of move out, um, I would say is I, I don't know this person's kind of history uh, and treatment, but um, it's really critical and you deserve this to have a good uh, therapist. And I, I know that from the question you mentioned, you discussed a few times um, this experience with therapists, but I think you really need a, uh, and this may have already happened. So if I'm already telling you things you've done, I'm sorry. I know that's fucking annoying. Um, I, I think if you haven't had a real evaluation um, assessment to determine whether, you know, you're suffering from symptoms of PTSD, depression, anxiety, other um trauma-related illnesses, I think you need that. You need that, you know, from a someone who specializes in good psychological assessment. My guess is that you will have some trauma symptoms. I mean, it's hard to imagine not having them. Um, so in that case, I think you really need a trauma specialist. And that not, not someone who's just going to kind of talk to you about what happened, but someone who's trained in evidence-based um, interventions for PTSD and trauma-related illness. And I think my advice is always to start with the treatment that has the highest level of evidence and then work your way down. Um, I would start there. You know, I know it's very difficult to do that right now. Um, I think, you know, when I said that um, when we talked offline, maybe I can touch base with this person and, and see if I can help them find some resources. But um, yeah, I mean, th- those things need to happen. You got to have like a, a really good evaluation to figure out, you know, what are the, that are most prominent and you need to meet with a really well-trained trauma therapist to help you um, work through the symptoms, uh, the immediate symptoms, if those are going on, like if there are immediate PTSD symptoms like nightmares, experiencing avoidance, psychological, behavioral avoidance, um, fear, uh, those kind of immediate um problems related to processing trauma memories um, because, you know, we have very good treatment for that. That's one, that's kind of one thing, immediate sort of um, individual level of trauma related evaluation and treatment piece. Then you have the other side, which is like how to manage this in the context of your family. And that's related, but a little different. And, you know, there's no one size fits all answer. Um, but what I would say is, you know, and you may not be at a place where you want to think about this stuff because it may kind of like revive the trauma memories. And if you haven't kind of built um, containment structure around those trauma memories and process them in such a way that they're stored in the brain as memories and not like immediate experiences and you haven't um, acquired the logical relaxation skills you need in order to access those newly stored memories in a way that's not really scary, then maybe you can't think about this family side yet. You know, so that's why I advocate um, uh, evaluation and treatment for individual level symptoms first. Okay. But do you mind, let's say that. Can I pause you for a sec? Cause I'm curious about that. Sure, yeah. What do you mean uh, when you, when you're saying like recently stored memories, cause there's yeah, so old the, memories, the right? Behind- yeah, the theory behind um, PTSD is that, and this is you know supported by the evidence, is that when you have a tr- so you have this uh, kind of substructure in the brain called the HPA axis and the limbic system, okay? and that's active in, without going too far into the 
neuroscience, um, the part of your brain that stores memory, the hippocampus, is right next to the part of your brain that's responsible for like scary feelings, the amygdala. The reason that's the case is because um, the amygdala activates when you are experiencing fear, danger, horror, because you need to kind of override your physiological system and get the fuck out of there. Okay. So it's responsible for activating your sort of fight or flight network. You're in immediate danger. Problem is uh, when you have a trauma memory, the memory is stored in such a way that recalling the memory activates that response in the amygdala that it feels as if the memory is happening right now. It feels as if it's a present moment fear response because it is instead of a recalled uh, memory of something that was scary that doesn't provoke the same activation in the amygdala and the limbic system. That's a kind of a gross way of describing it, but it's accurate. So what uh, trauma treatment does is it allows you to store those memories in such a way that they get hit with the date and time tag. So your body knows and your, you know, this is not something I'm experiencing right now. It's unpleasant and terrible and horrible and disgusting, but I'm not in immediate danger right now. These are memories from the past, right? But if you don't do that, when you recall the memory, your body reacts as if that's happening right now. Mm. So the danger response you feel in the body is the response of present moment danger. Does that make sense? Yes. I didn't, maybe I vaguely knew that, but I didn't really know that. That's very interesting to understand. Yeah. So that's why people who have, of um, managed PTSD react to situations as if they are in imminent threat or imminent danger because that's what their body is telling them to do. The, those memories are not stored in a way that your other memories are where they're kind of filed with a date and time tag that doesn't provoke the same physiological response. Got it, okay. That's why it's really hard until you get that treatment to like deal with it because you're immediately put back into fight or flight mode by remembering this trauma experience. Um, I, before, because I do want to hear, I didn't mean to cut you off at all. I want to hear what you're going to say about the family dynamic thing very much. Um, but before you do what, if I, if I'm looking for a trauma specialist, like, what do I, what do I look for? How do I go seek out that kind of, care? Go to, um, if you go to, you're gonna have to Google around a little bit. I, I don't have the URL like in my mind, but, uh, Edna Foa who, uh, developed prolonged exposure runs the um, like anxiety center at Penn. Um, so if you kind of just Google those things, Edna Foa, Penn, uh, anxiety and trauma center, there's a list of all the therapists across the country who are uh, certified by her organization in prolonged exposure. You can find people in your area who are trained in prolonged exposure. And, and there are other trauma treatments like cognitive processing therapy. Um, MDR also has some evidence. Although I think the training is not as like rigorously overseen by a central accrediting body for MDR. That's just my view. Um, you know, look around and see what seems uh, best to you. But you can find a prolonged exposure therapist. And so that's what I would do. I mean, I was on the list for a while when I was practicing. Um, but, you know, you can find a uh, one. Prolonged exposure. This is interesting. Edna Foe, I've never heard of her. She also does, because it's for anxiety as well, I guess, her her special, or well, what she does. Oh, so, yeah, so prolonged exposure is not for anxiety, but Edna Foe is an anxiety uh, specialist and trauma specialist. Got it. Trauma used to be under anxiety disorders in the DSM. So that's why, you know, they 
institute's been around for a long time. So that's why it's called that. Um, now trauma and stress related disorders are their own thing, DSM, but they're not, I don't think they're going to go back and change the name of the institute, you know, yeah. um, or the you center. Mind, I always think whenever I hear prolonged therapy or prolonged exposure, it sounds really intense and scary to me, like prolonged exposure. It is intense. It is intense. Um, yeah. So basically all trauma therapies are exposure therapies. What exposure is, is bringing the memory back up into consciousness in a controlled environment that's safe so that you can learn to habituate the feelings of fear, anxiety, shame that are triggered by that memory. And then you learn to reprocess those emotional experiences in a safe way. And by doing that, you re-encode. Because every time you recall a memory, you restore it, right? Every time you bring a memory into consciousness, it gets restored again, right? which is why memory is not super reliable. Wow. Whenever that memory comes up, you are experiencing those feelings, which you're, you're scared will, be, will overwhelm you and destroy you. So you have the experience that, oh, actually, this memory does not destroy me. These feelings do not destroy me. I can cope with these feelings. And then you re-encode that memory. And by doing that, the analogy is watching a horror movie. If every time the scariest horror movie you've ever seen gets to the scariest part, you cover your eyes and look away, it stays scary every time you see it. And imagine if someone just shoved it in front of your face at all these unpredictable moments. It would be fucking horrible. But uh, when you re-encode the memory, it's like force yourself to watch that scene over and over and over and over again. It's very unpleasant. But the thousandth time you see it, it's still unpleasant and you still don't like it, but it doesn't ruin your experience of yourself, doesn't destroy yeah. the experience you're having, doesn't terrify you. Because you've seen it a million times and you know that you can deal with it, even though it sucks. Wow. Yeah, that's good. That's really interesting. Um, and prolonged exposure. It's more complicated than that, but that's the core uh, yeah. um, to understand the process of habituation. And what that does is that re-encodes trauma memory. So like the biological piece of memory encoding that's responsible for you know, trauma symptoms gets dealt with that way. But then, but it doesn't deal with all of the kind of the next circle out, which is like all of your other relationships with people, you know, how to restructure your relationships and build your life um, in a way that, you know, uh, helps to support your goals and values. It doesn't do that. Right. More therapy for that. Um, before we get in the family thing, I was going to ask, my mom did some therapy a while ago. I never asked her specifically about it, uh, like what put her into it uh, or what she was trying to treat. Um, I know she's got some, you know, tough stuff in her past. Um, she did a like a MDMA facilitated thing at like a university, some kind of research thing where they, you know, administer... MDMA and then run through a thing and it sounds kind of similar to what you're talking about and, and how she described it because she was like I mean one thing she said was like it, it, my mom's very sort of woo-woo spiritual as well but later she was like you know it's one thing to have the uh conceptual notion of like being held in the love of God and then she's like it's another thing to like feel it <laughs> to like be it oh, yeah. and uh and that kind of sounds similar to what you're describing I guess of like being and and from what I've read about some other psychedelic treatments as well um where they 
give you this stuff or I think ketamine might be a similar thing too when they do the ketamine for depression but that might be a different thing where they do this and then they bring up these memories and discuss it and you can kind of talk about it in these while under the influence of these uh psychedelics or the MDMA and so it like yeah, I mean, you can recode so the memory yeah yeah so so ketamine treatment for depression is is going to be different functionally than PTSD treatment uh I mean very often trauma and depression are comorbid but usually the depression is secondary to the trauma because the trauma unprocessed trauma interferes with your ability to live your life which can then right. lead to depression Yes. Uh, yes. Here's what I'd say: the emerging evidence for like psilocybin or um, the MDMA, the methyldeoxymethamphetamine treatment, like that. Those the emerging evidence is very encouraging. At the same time, there isn't the same body of literature and support, and there are just fewer people trained in that because it's literally being studied as we speak. So, yeah. you know, as a responsible uh, like practitioner, I have to advocate that you first start with the treatment that has the highest standard of evidence and the lowest risk associated, which would be like the talk therapies, often accompanied by medication, like antidepressant medication. Um, but these other therapies are emerging and, you know, in 10 years, those might be the frontline therapies, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, you kind of be, have to be an informed consumer a little bit, but, um, also with those, those medication, those therapies involving those, compounds also involves therapy right like there's there's surely some exercises involved it's not just like you can't just take drugs at home and be like i'm fixed no no no, no. it's overseen it's in a office context with two uh psychotherapists in the room during the trip and i think they the thing is that you know there's no it's experimental it's an experimental treatment they're experimenting with doses frequency you know you know, I, I would just always advocate that you start with a well-studied treatment rather than ex an experimental treatment, even yes. though this sounds like cool. Yeah. It does. It really it does, does sound, sound cool. cool. I'm yeah. like really having Very difficulty. I want to keep asking questions. I want to be like, just while we're on the subject, I was like, how do you, if you want to get involved with research, like how do you apply for that stuff? But I think that's worth actually asking for real. I don't want to, I don't want to go too far. Oh, yeah. There, okay. There's certain, there's certain, I would stay away from any like, who are not doing a federally funded study okay? because I don't know what those people are doing. So, or who aren't um, attached to a, a university. I mean, there are lots of people I'm sure out there who add, who on their website say that they do MDMA assisted therapy, but like, who the fuck are they? Right. So how would you find those federally funded? How would you vet that? Yeah. So you, again, you're going to have to do some, some research. I mean, I know off the top of my head that UCLA uh, has funded, really funded uh, psilocybin studies. Um, I can't, I'm blanking on the guy's name right now, but he's attached to Harbor UCLA. I, I know him because I work there. So um, that's Harbor UCLA, you know, but you're going to have to do some research. I mean, it's not going to be easy. Like it, it's not an easy process to like join the experimental arm of a psilocybin research trial. You know, it's much easier to find a, evidence-based trauma therapist. So that's why I advocate doing that. Does Grobe I mean, sound I, right? Frank, Charles Grobe? Like a direct pipeline to getting into the experimental arm of the right. psilocybin trial. Probably, especially if you haven't tried, it's probably it's still better to just try established methods first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Do you mind, um, is Charles Grobe, does that sound right? Grobe. It's Grobe. Yeah, it's yeah. Grobe. Yep. Um, 
will you please uh yes yeah, sorry i i cut off and went down this this first half of the trauma treatment path first talk more about this family dynamic thing because i think probably a lot of people can relate to that as well like um yeah. even if yeah. your situation might not feel uh it might not be as dramatic as this story which is uh again thanks for sharing it's a really really hard story just to even read um but uh you know that little, that that family thing of like you yeah. they want to deny things that happened or what how what do you do with all that yeah so again i don't want to oversimplify this is not a problem that can be solved in 20 minutes you know? so course. i yeah. i really want to advocate that person work with a therapist that they can build a trusting supportive and validating relationship with that's the most important thing because you're going to need help figuring out the nuances of how to manage this in the family system that you describe. And I am not going to do a good job of without knowing you intimately. I mean, that let's just be very clear about that. We, sorry. Will you say that again? Your audio caught out for a second. You're not going to do a good job. And then of whatever you said, it's just not possible to do a good job uh, to, you know, giving you advice about how to manage the complexities of family interaction with the history that you described. You need to, with a trained therapist with whom you have a validating, trusting, intimate relationship in order to figure out how to navigate that system. And it's going to take time and trial and error. So I'm not going to be able to do that. I can just talk about a couple of principles. Okay. Does that make sense as a preamble? Yes. Okay. First, what I'll just say is you deserve unequivocally to be in a loving, validating system that supports you and that believes you and that validates your experience. 100% deserve that, you should have that, and you shouldn't settle for anything less than that. And until you have that, it's going to be hard for you to be happy, period. So, you know, when you have an extended family that doesn't believe you that thinks you're lying or being manipulated by your mother and invalidates your trauma, the, the most horrible deep trauma that one can imagine, that's totally unacceptable. And so if those people are not willing to change, it's very difficult for me to see how you can maintain a relationship with those people. Mm-hmm. That's really hard. That's really hard, you know? And I don't mean to sound as if that's just some trite, easy thing you can do, sever a relationship with your extended family. I know it's not that is why you've got to have somebody in your corner who you trust intimately, who truly sees you and validates your experience. Okay. Um, but I'm just telling you, I cannot conceive of a way that you can have a close relationship with people who don't believe that you were victimized and abused and who want to instead maintain the fantasy uh, through conspiracy of silence your father is a good person. If they're so attached to that idea that they can't validate your truth, I don't see how you can have them in your life. Figuring that out for yourself, what that means and how to do that, you're going to need a lot of help with that because it's really, really fucking hard to do. You know, that's extended family. Um, I think when it comes to mom, it sounds like, you know, you've had a little bit of a conversation with mom about this and she's really uncomfortable with this. Also, I mean, here's the thing. People may not be emotionally strong enough and have the skills that they need to grapple with this truth. Mm-hmm. They may not be. They may not be able to do that. They may be too limited in their own emotional development and skills to be able to do that. 
And if that's the case, um, you're not going to be able to give them those skills against their will. You know, they're going to have to do that work. They have work to do. They don't want to do their work. Hard to imagine how you can be in a group project together. Yeah. Um, I think that's why you also need to be in this trusting, validating, intimate relationship with a therapist to help figure out how you're going to frame this conversation with your mom, because it's about what you need. It's about what you need to move forward in your life um, to heal and build a life worth living. And it's about whether those people are willing to do that, be in your life. I mean, that's the calculus. Are they going to do the work they need to do to deserve re-entry into your life, mm. to your circle and system? And that's the calculus. Your mom needs to do that. Anyone who wants to be part of your life needs to do that work. They have work to do. You don't have that work to do for them. You have your own work. That's their work. And it's up to them whether they're going to be able to do that work. The problem is that if they decide that they're not going to do it, which be the case, yeah. it's more work for you because you're going to have to figure out how do you cope with that. Right. You cope with that that realization. That loss. It's going to be a loss even though the fuck is wrong with them it's still an experienced as a loss yeah you it's going to require more work from you all this is completely fucking unfair i mean it's totally utterly unfair and unjustified that you have all this fucking work to do um but you do and don't give yourself more you know they have their own they have their own work to do but the thing is so that, that that's a little bit on the family side okay yeah that's, that's let me just yeah go ahead please I would just also say, so then, then like the third piece is, you know, how do you uh, kind of get out from under, you know, this abuse now that's been perpetrated by someone who's dead. Uh, Let me just say that you can, you, you absolutely can recover from this, have a life worth living and build intimate relationships the intimate relationships, you absolutely 100% can do this. And I'm just thinking of people that I worked with who experienced unimaginable childhood sexual trauma. And through therapy, through, in this case, prolonged exposure, and then therapy subsequently, have really healthy, good, meaningful relationships. Doesn't mean that they're not affected by their trauma still. They are. It's a memory that they'll never, it's an experience that shaped their life that they'll never forget. But they have a good life. They have a good life. They have a, a partner. They were able to, I just think one person in particular, but this is, you know, many people, they're able to um, have a good life. And there's also, there's this concept called post traumatic growth that's being explored a lot now um, in the research literature. And, you know, there are ways to actually grow. It's not a silver lining, like, fuck that, you know, that, that's not what this is. But by processing trauma, by exploring, reprocessing deep, deep pain, people become stronger. They actually can become stronger, more empathic, um, more clarity in terms of their kind of like existential experience, what's meaningful for them in their life, what values are important for them. Mm. Um, That's possible, you know, so that's this phenomenon of post-traumatic growth, but you have to first kind of do all this work. It's a lot of fucking work. You know, it's like a long journey of work ahead of you. Yeah. But that journey can end in 
more strength, more empathy, more clarity around goals, more meaning in life, better relationships, more intimacy. All of that is within grasp. And I don't see any reason on earth why you would be unable to achieve that. You will be able to achieve that. It's just going to happen gradually along a, along a um, difficult road, you know, along a difficult path. It's achievable. It's attainable. You absolutely can attain that. You've got to find someone who can help you, who's really good and can help you and who you connect with. Um, that's really, thank you. Yeah, I want to just end there. I think that's that's good for today. If if this uh, this person already knows, uh, and I'll make sure they know again. Uh, Doctor Nick was nice enough to offer to talk to them privately and uh, help help direct them towards some of that that stuff. And you know, if you have uh, some of those resources, like Ednafoa was the name that you said to Google Ednafoa and prolonged exposure therapy and find somebody certified in that in your area. Maybe you also said um, what was the other one? Well, the therapy, yeah, so Edna Forward is uh, the kind of inventor of um, prolonged exposure. But then there's cognitive processing therapy, right. CPT, which is another like gold standard treatment. Uh, EMDR is also uh, has some evidence behind it. So these are all, you know, you would see who's in your area. Like yeah. you got to do all that nitty gritty bullshit, like who's in your network or can you pay out of pocket or, you know, all that, yeah. all that stuff. Would start there though, in terms of finding a trauma therapist. Um, I know this is the age old yeah, question. Like I would say it's not a substitute for yeah. doing individual trauma work, but maybe not a bad idea to find a group in the meantime. Got it. If you're if that there, if you want to do that, where um, because I was going to ask about that. I know this is the question that comes up all the time: is just cost prohibitiveness. Is if you you know maybe don't have much extra money to be seeking treatment. Um, or maybe you don't have health insurance or something, what resources uh, do you advise people to look for who need this kind of help? And then like yeah. about the group thing, what's what groups do you look for? Where do you look for a safe group? Yeah, unfortunately, this stuff is totally location dependent. So it really just depends on where you are and it depends on how much money you have. You know, So if, for example, if you have like an Obamacare uh, health plan, they all cover some amount of mental health treatment, you know? Yeah. Um, so that, that, thank God, that's like part of a basic insurance plan now. Um, you know, if you're, there are probably also county systems, like public mental health care systems. Again, it just really depends on where you are. I don't, and I know is like the LA County mental health system. So in LA County, there's a very good uh, public mental health system, uh, depending on where you kind of like service area of LA County you, you are in. Um, if you, no, it just depends. Just for just in case, if there's you know, do, just because we have you and you specifically know about LA, do you have any recommendation where to go look in LA? Well, you got to go to the LA County uh, Department of Mental Health website, which okay. is you know, it's fucking like well Web 1.0. It's going to be a bitch to figure out. It sucks. Yeah. You know, it's like work, a bunch of labor you have to do to like get care. Uh, what once you figure out the like Wait, address you think, of your is service, it, really quick is it do you think uh if you have like a trusted i don't know just in my experience i feel like it's kind of helpful to enlist people who love you and who you love like uh, who you trust to like just for that process of finding help because it's a fucking get out get down in front of the laptop and plan for like a day at least 
of going through all this stuff and mm-hmm. trying to uh, you know, figure out where you're going to go. I mean, uh, I know it's going to depend on say, your- I mean, we talked about, it, but I, I ended up going to some therapy because of a recommendation from a friend because I reached out to my friend group and was like, I'm in a really bad place. And it led to them talking to me and it led to them suggesting a place. And then I had to take it from there. But I really do think it's helpful if you have trusted people in your life just to keep you not even like accountable, just to be your 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 teammate, your your partner and helping you figure like do that tedious. It, it's so fucking lame. It's so crazy how hard it is to like get treatment sometimes in the system. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, um, you know, in LA County, what will happen basically it depends on the service area and the clinic. Um, but what will happen is most of those clinics have like a day where you just line up to go get an intake appointment. So you get there at like seven thirty in the morning, get in line, and you get a date for an intake appointment. That's probably a month down the road. You know, now with the COVID situation, I don't know what's happening. You know, um, but. Yeah. Yeah, there's just no shortcut, you know, unfortunately, unless you can pay a lot and then you can call some of these clinics like, you know, ABT California has some specialist therapists that are very good, but it's expensive, you know, to pay out of pocket. Um, I know we're, we're going to wrap wrap up here quick, but I want to ask two, two final questions just uh, for like actionable, hopefully advice. One was uh, reiterate. Yeah. So the question about the groups again, like if I was looking, I just want to make sure I get that before we go. If you're trying to find a group, yeah. what do you look for to know if it's like a good, I mean, you know, if I was, I, I've, I've done 12 step stuff like L and A and things like that, but it, this seems like this is potentially very sensitive, very difficult. So, so a one, how, uh, that's my first question. What do you do to vet or look for a, a reliable, healthy, safe group to do this kind of group therapy? And then the other question I had was, um, are there any books or like actionable things that you can do on your own, maybe in that lag time between getting into a therapy? Like if you can't, you know, if there is a month before your appointment or something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think the more knowledge, the better. So, you know, the body keeps the scores a good one to read or like, there's one called like, why don't zebras get ulcers or something like that. That also is good about like how it's in the body. Um, and then I would do a lot of physical relaxation training, um, like deep breathing, progressive muscle relaxation, vigorous exercise, mindfulness meditation, things that teach you how to relax your body. Because um, that is part of trauma treatment. And if you come in with those skills, it's just going to help you. Um, so again, progressive muscle relaxation, deep breathing, um, mindfulness meditation, vigorous exercise, um, things that help the body to relax. Okay. In terms of group... Uh, again, it's just going to be very regionally dependent, but you, know, you got to kind of do, unfortunately, like go online and start Googling trauma groups. The indicator should be whether you feel good there. You trust your intuition. If you go in and it feels like, you know, whether it's kind of a peer-led group or a therapist-led group, if you go in and you feel like good vibes, like, oh, these people seem to like, be kind and validating and care and knowledgeable, and you feel acted and good, then, then that might be something to pursue. If you get a bad vibe and you're like, Oh shit, this person, I just don't like their vibe. I don't feel like good here. Get the fuck out of there. Don't put yourself through that. You know, it comes to a therapist, having them be trained, especially when you want to work on trauma is really critical because the modalities are important. Um, but more important than that is someone who you feel trust, you know, who you feel you can trust and who you like. In, in like big meta analyses, um, relationship with the, the therapist is the largest driver of the outcome. So, 
really important. It's the same for groups. Yeah, that's good. Um, is there like a resource for looking for groups like Googling? Do you, what would you just look for trauma support group or something? I would, I would, uh, I would do is like if it's outside the context of a clinic, because through a clinic is the same process as finding an individual therapist. Um, I don't have off the top of my head one, what I would do personally for me is I would Google like the keywords and then my zip code. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Well, thanks, Dr. Nick. I really appreciate that. And thank you to the individual who sent that message in. I really, really appreciate you being so open about that. I, I know like it's just uh, I don't know, helpful. It's always is. It always is when we share our stories with other people. I think it's it's really wonderful. And uh, you already know, but, you know, re- reach out if you want. Uh, I'll, I'll connect you with Dr. Nick and you guys should chat a little bit. Thanks for doing that, Dr. Nick. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, y'all. Um, that's it. I'm going to, we're going to, we're going to end there. Thank you so much, uh, for being here, you know, self-care, hydrate, be nice to yourself. Be well. Um, we'll see you guys next week. Thanks a lot, Dr. Nick. And, uh, yeah, take it easy guys. Talk to you soon. Bye. Good Bad Brain is, uh, you know, production of Mind Jam Media. And, uh, you know, if you enjoy the pod, you could support us at uh, mygoodbadbrain.com. You can buy shirts and stuff or at patreon.com slash mygoodbadbrain. That's, that's pretty much it. You can also leave reviews. Those are really helpful and nice as well. Okay. Thank you. Self-care. Hydrate. Be well. See you guys soon.